0: being with all our might. And that's what we want for this weekend. God, you're receiving all of us, not part of us, not some uh, part that's hidden, Father, but everything disclosed unto you. Will you make that happen in our lives today and this weekend, God, giving you the highest praise. So we ask that you will bless us, Father, that you will continue to shower down your love to, to the point where we know it, we will believe it, help our unbelief in it, Father, so we will know that we're people under your grace, compelled by your love to give you that highest praise. In Jesus' name, we do pray. And God's people say it together. Amen. Amen. I want to bring up Pastor Duke now uh, to introduce our speaker. Have a seat. Have a seat. Oh, man. Hey, it is a blessing not only to be able to sing praises But to have, oh, hold on. So kids are welcome to go and have a better time than any of us. Thank you so much for adults who are caring for the kids. So parents, you are welcome to bring the kids on over to the room next door. Am I missing anything else? Hey, do you prefer a music stand to the beast? (laughs) (laughs) All right. How are we doing? That's good. Hey, you know, guys, what I was thinking while we were singing, that um, it's, it's good to sing praises... And it's good to rejoice, and it's good to clap our hands. And that's not because we're making light of whatever troubles you have. There, there are a lot of troubles in this room, aren't there? There's a lot on your mind. There's a lot that burden your hearts. So when we sing and when we praise like this, it's not escape. It's perspective right it's not that you've checked your problems and your trials and your challenges and your hardships at the door or at dc it's that you can go to that higher place to see things with god's eyes through the lens of faith clinging to his promises his character and still rejoice, Amen. even when it hurts. Amen. It's good to praise the Lord, even in the midst of pain. Amen. It's good to sing, even when you're sad. Right? Amen. Um, thank you so much, music team, for leading. They're not even here. They're all gone. Uh, but thank you. So- oh, except for you, Klaas, he'll take a word of praise. Uh, <laughs> but thank you so much. Guys, it is so good to be together here on this <laughs> retreat. Um, And it's good for us to get away, to get some rest physically, to get away, to get some fresh air, to be in community. Sometimes living in the city, you got to get out of the city in order to do well in the city. And that's one of the reasons why we're here. But we want refreshment not only in our bodies, but we also want refreshment to our souls. And so that's why it's important for us uh, on a couple occasions throughout the weekend to receive from God's word. And that's why I'm thrilled to uh, introduce to you our guest speaker. I'll introduce him a couple times throughout the weekend with, with uh, uh, more and more uh, 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 detail about who he is and, and stuff over time. But the guest speaker for our weekend is Pastor uh, Abe Cho, who is, yeah, who is the, you got the fan club over here, apparently, right? who is the lead pastor um, of Redeemer Presbyterian Church Eastside on the Upper East Side of Manhattan and is pastoring there, has been in the New York area for the past 12 years and is such a blessing to have here. You know, Abe actually doesn't, hasn't and doesn't do much Uh, retreat speaking in recent years just because of the the crush of responsibilities in leading a large church that's been going through a lot of evolution over the past uh, couple of years. And so it really is a gift and a blessing to have Abe here in our midst. Um, And it's just a, a brother that I love and trust and uh, wouldn't have you listening to anyone else and receiving from God's word from anyone else uh, but him here this weekend. And so if we could put our hands together and welcome Pastor Abecho. Cho. Yeah, man. How do we do this? Do you wanna make you wanna stand? Uh, I can hold it. Do you wanna hold okay. it? Yeah, okay, oh, yeah. that's
1: okay. All right, well, it is um, such a great pleasure to be here, although, you know, I do take exception to that Tim Keller book comment. <laughs> Where did he go? He's, he's not even here. Oh, he's not even here. Okay, sorry, I'm making fun of the guy He's not even in the room. Um, so, yeah, it's great to be here. We've lived in Manhattan now for actually 11 going on 12 years. We've had um, three of our four kids there. My wife and I met at Gordon Conwell Conwell uh, when Duke and I were seminary roommates. So she lived right down the hall from us, and we were roommates in seminary. Uh, we've had three of our four kids in Manhattan and uh, it's kind of funny because in Manhattan you don't really see families that big so a lot of times people will say yeah one kid is good two kids that's a lot three kids you're pushing four kids is just irresponsible right so (laughs) so we get that a lot we also get like uh, we're walking down the street with our whole family and we can see strangers counting our children as we walk down the road (laughs) Uh, we get that a lot uh, but it's fun. I mean, we definitely uh, are look countercultural where we are, um, but uh, I don't know, parenthood has been one of the best things uh, for us, and so we've been really growing a lot in it and learning a lot about God's grace in it. Uh, <clears throat> what I want to do this weekend um, is kind of share a little bit from my own recent experience uh, and the ways that the Word of God has kind of come alive in my own life in kind of surprising and new ways. Uh, You know, Duke's little intro there about what we do with our troubles, uh, what we do with our suffering, what we do with our sorrows, is really going to actually feature really at the heart of what it is I'm going to share. And I think this weekend for me is going to be as much personal testimony as it is exposition of Scripture, uh, because the Word is a living Word, isn't it? Uh, And when the Word takes a hold of a life... And the Spirit of God takes that life and does unexpected things out of your control. That's when you know it's living and active, you know, in really powerful ways. And so I want to share a little bit of that journey with you. Um, I also believe that um, for many of you, you're probably on a similar journey, that we are all together pilgrims. And we find ourselves as unique uh, as each of our experiences are, as unique as each of our t- uh, relationships with God in Christ are. Uh, there's still a sense in which we are in this together. And so I trust that many of you will find yourself in the middle of this uh, journey as well. But actually, before I kind of dive in, can we just... What I like to do uh, is something that I force myself to do because in our distracted world, especially if you live in a city, it's really, really hard. So I'm going to make you do something that's going to be extremely uncomfortable. (laughs) Okay? And it's basically what I want you to do is just before we get into the Word, just to sit for a full minute. So I'm going to time 60 full seconds. In silence and by silence I don't mean silent prayer okay I mean silence before God so the best analogy is something like this uh, you might notice that the better you know somebody the closer they are to you in your life the more comfortable it is to be in silence with them so my wife and I can sit full days in silence <laughs> but you meet a stranger and you kind of feel this pressure to keep the conversation going And those silences are so incredibly awkward. And there are times where I wonder if our relationship with God feels a little bit more like that than it does like this. Uh, And to sit in silence before uh, the smile of God. Or as we hear uh, from the mouth of Hagar, God sees me. And to just sit and allow the Father to see you this morning. And so sit in silence is going to be really awkward. First 50 seconds is going to be fighting off distractions. It's going to be fighting off this impulse to say things, to fill it with words. It's going to be super hard. But I hope in the midst of that you find a time where you're silent before your father and you're just sitting in dad's lap, as it were, and you experience the smile of the father. Okay? So let's do that uh, right now, and let's just begin a minute in silence, uh, and then I'll open us in prayer afterwards. So let's begin now. Uh, Father, would you just quiet our souls as a wean child with a mother? You would quiet us. Uh, that that wean child comes to him not, to his mother not because he needs anything; he's weaned. Uh, he comes to his mother simply because he loves her, simply because he knows she delights in you. So as we read in Psalm 31, would you quiet our souls before you like a child, a wean child with his mother? to know that we can set aside all of our striving, to know we can set aside all of our insecurities, we can set aside our guilt, our shame, our fear. We can lay all those things aside, and we can climb into the lap of the Father and experience uh, the smile of God that's ours purely by grace. And therefore, there's nothing we can do to lose it. To help us, and when we take moments like this to experience that, but Lord, increasingly help us to live our lives out of that smile, that your nearness will be very real to us. So be with us as we look into your word. I just pray for your spirit to be present here, uh, that you would take this word that's been so alive in my own life and heart. Uh, Would you bring it to life uh, in in the lives of my brothers and sisters here today? And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, was that uncomfortable? I actually stretched you a minute and a half. So you went a little bit longer than normal. But I hope, I hope that's... I know. <laughs> that internal clock was like, this is more than a minute. Um, but actually, it's a, it's a practice I want to encourage you. You know, I think in, in Protestant world and that kind of thing, we, have, we struggle with chatter, I think. Uh, but there's something about being in the presence of God and the discipline of silence uh, as a spiritual practice, I uh, just want to commend it to you just in your own personal uh, times of prayer. So, uh, so let me just start this way. You know, seven years ago, uh, I found that God was, take, God was forcing me to embark on a journey that I did not want to go on. Uh, and it was a journey that would take me into uh, really uncharted territory, Uh, And that was seven years ago, and I would say I'm still not fully done with that journey. I still think I'm still trying to crawl out of this pit uh, that God placed me in uh, several years ago. Uh, But as God took me on this journey, I found myself, and I'll talk a little bit about this, I found myself completely at a loss. Uh, So I used all of the pastor's trick bag of tricks that I use on other people, and I used it on myself in some of these hardest times, and none of it worked. And all the tricks in my bag were completely used up, and I had nothing left. And all I had to do was sit before God and say, God, if you don't do something, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm lost. Um, and it was in that moment where the book of Psalms became for me this tremendous roadmap. Uh, and I came to discover that the pilgrims who have gone before me have walked this path before me. And their prayers have been recorded for me, so that I wouldn't be alone in this uh, hard and dark journey. And for the first time, I would—I I used to open the Psalms. And I'd be like, "Nah, I don't feel it. It's, I'm not feeling these Psalms." Uh, but in this, these moments of uh, of real struggle, for the first time, I found that the Psalms gave me language for prayer. Uh, and I think it was a moment where God was essentially rebuilding my life with him from the ground up, Uh, that my walk with God, that my spiritual life was being completely renovated in painful, um, uncomfortable, and yet life-transforming ways. So what I want to do today is I want to show you a little bit of the Psalms, but what I want to do is rather than, Psalms is a long book. It's 150 Psalms. And a lot of times, if you start to read the Psalms, you kind of get lost uh, in the trees. So you look at each Psalm, and you look at the bark pattern, and you look at the leaves, and you look at all that, and you say, why well, right, this is a Psalm. And you just look at the one tree, uh, but we don't often take a step back and say, what's the shape of this forest? Uh, what's the shape of the Psalms, and what's the journey that the entire 150 Psalms, that Book of Psalms is trying to lead us on? So what I want to do this morning is maybe give you a taste of that. Uh, to kind of show you some of the journey that I experienced uh, in some of my hard moments. This evening, I'll share a little bit more just about my story. But today, I want to look at uh, the Psalms. And here's the basic idea, and I'll unpack this a little bit more. Uh, Walter Brueggemann, who's a New Testament scholar, he says that the Psalms basically have a shape of spiritual, starts at spiritual orientation, moves towards profound spiritual disorientation, and then it ends with a new and surprising spiritual reorientation. That that's the entire shape of the psalm. So Kurt Vonnegut, who's a, a science fiction writer, he said there's only been one story that the world has ever told, and it's a story man in whole. You start here, orientation. You fall into the hole, disorientation. And you come out on the other side with a new and surprising reorientation. And the book of Psalms, Brueggemann contends, and this certainly was my personal experience, the book of Psalms takes us on that journey if we have the courage to follow Christ into disorientation. Trusting that on the other side, he has for us a new and surprising reorientation. Okay, so that's kind of where we're going. The first thing I want to look at, if you look in your uh, bullet, uh, your packets there, uh, I included Psalm 1 and Psalm 150. And what I want to do is just want to look at the two of them to show us a little bit of this pattern. So Psalm 1, of course, is the first of all the Psalms. Psalm 50 is the last of the Psalms. <clears throat> and so uh, let's read that. Does someone want to read Psalm 1 for us there? It's probably familiar to some, uh, but someone with a little bit loud voice may project and read Psalm 1 for us. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Blessed is the Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction.
1: Amen. All right, actually, let's pause, and we'll get to Psalm 115 in a second. So Psalm 1 here, which was just read to us, this uh, you can kind of think of as a psalm of orientation. Okay, so for all of us, we begin with kind of a basic orientation in life. So uh, we enter into life, and maybe you look back on when you were in your teens or 20s or 30s or whatever the case may be. But life, at some point, kind of made sense. So there was a certain sense of equilibrium that you had in life. You're fairly confident that you understood how the word world basically works. Um, there seemed to be like a, more, a clear moral and spiritual coherence to the world around you. Life felt orderly, it felt relatively good, it felt at least reliable. And so there was at some point in your life, and also I would say in your spiritual life, in your walk with God, in your Christian life, there was a time where there was kind of an undisturbed equilibrium. And so maybe even when you first became a Christian, or you might be here just thinking about what does a Christian faith mean, as you enter into and you discover what the gospel is all about, initially it creates this orientation, like the sense of, okay, this makes sense of life, I get it. The Christian faith helps me to see what the life is all about. And that's where the psalm starts here, isn't it? So if you read this psalm here, it's what scholars call a psalm of instruction. So it almost reads like a proverb and not quite like a psalm, so it's a little bit unusual there. But uh, the psalm has this basic, clear, um, coherent vision in life. And basically the idea is that the wicked, they do not prosper, uh, but the righteous, uh, they um Those who delight in the law of the Lord will flourish. Uh, The wicked are like chaff. They have no foundations. They're blown away with the first of the winds. But the righteous are like like trees rooted in something solid. There's real life growing out of them. Uh, Or the wicked are those who perish, and the righteous are the ones who God will watch over all the days of our life. Right, so there's a very clear orientation to the world. The world makes sense. The world made by God has a certain coherence, and it kind of resonates with my experience of life uh, up until that point. Now, if you were to pick up a me- medieval manuscript of Psalm 1, if it's, you know, just lying around in your kitchen. <laughs> but if you were to pick up a-, a medieval manuscript of Psalm 1, what you would find in this medieval manuscript is Psalm 1 would not have a number uh, and would it be the only psalm written in red ink? Because through the history of the church, Psalm One was understood to be kind of the portal, the gateway, the doorway into the land of the Psalms, into the journey that Psalms is, go- is going to take you on. And as you, as you accept this invitation about one man who walks along the counsel of the wicked and the other who does not, who delights in the Lord, as you're invited into this journey where there are two gates two portals into a single land, you're presented with a world that, again, seems morally coherent. If you live a life of righteousness, you have the presence of God, you have the fullness of God, you have uh, life, for the most part, will go well with you. So there's a kind of a clear and ambiguous sense that the world is morally and spiritually coherent. And I want to emphasize very quickly is I believe Psalm 1 is true, right? This is God's word, so there's truth to it. There's, so there's something to be said about if you live your life and all you do is ever is, is lie, your life will not go well for the most part. Uh, if you're cheating people, if you're unfaithful uh, to your spouse, if what those kinds of things, there is a general moral coherence to the world, isn't there? It's created by a morally coherent God, and it's still his creation at the end of the day. So Psalm 1 is absolutely and unequivocally true, But what helped me was I began to realize that Psalm 1 is true, but I have not begun to experience the depth of the truth that it represents, because it's still kind of this psalm of orientation, okay? So just a quick illustration, because this this sense that life has a certain basic orientation is deep in all of us. So I recently uh, watched um, The Lord of the Rings with my four kids, and I was telling Duke and Paula, my four-year-old son has seen more PG-13 movies than I care to admit, (laughs) Like, there's something about being youngest child. We're like, yeah, let's go watch Star Wars. Yeah, yeah Infinity War. Let's do it. Come on. Come on. Um, so we are watching Lord of the Rings. Although that's PG, isn't it? Yeah, that's PG. Okay. All right. I don't have to feel so guilty. Okay. Um, so we're watching Lord of the Rings, four of us. So my children are 12, uh, 11, 8, and 5. Uh, and we're watching Lord of the Rings. And at some point, my 8-year-old turns to me and he asks me this question. Really deep and profound question. He says, is Gollum a good guy or a bad guy? So there's a question of orientation, isn't it? Right, is this, is he good guy or bad guy? And so I, you know, being the stellar father and pastor that I am, went on a very long, eloquent, profound explanation about the nature of sin and idolatry and how it dehumanizes. And my kids looked at me and they said, can we just watch the movie now? But that question, right, that instinct to say, is this good guy or bad guy that we see in our children is actually true. It's in us, isn't it? I don't want to get too political, but I guess you all live in D.C., but in our political life, we have a tendency to simply ask the question, is this a good guy or a bad guy? Right, so there is this world of moral coherence. Everything works as it ought to. There are clear lines. There's a black and whiteness to it. You could call it innocent. You could call it perhaps naive. You could even perhaps call it idealistic, not because it's wrong, but because this is just the orientation that we begin with. And so, for example, <clears throat> when we ask questions like this, and these are legitimate questions, these are real and important questions, When we ask questions like, um, God, what did I do to deserve this? So there's a question of orientation, right? So if I've lived a good life, certainly I deserve good returns on that investment. Uh, Or when we ask questions like, and this is a question I certainly wrestled with for a long story. After all I've done for you. Or question, why do they prosper and succeed? And these are all these questions of orientation. I'm not trying to make it sound like these are not legitimate questions. But they reveal within our heart that there is this basic uh, orientation that we look for. And now if you look through the entire book of Psalms, so Psalm 1 is this this kind of psalm of orientation, as it were. If you look at the book of Psalms, there are psalms of orientation scattered throughout the entire book. Okay, so there's a sense in which this is not just, you know, kindergarten level spirituality and you move on. But the psalm of orientations, uh, they're they're, they're called psalms of instruction. There are some creation psalms in there. Some of the psalms of lament or uh, ascent could be kind of considered in this category. So Psalm 119, 112, Psalm 119, Psalm 120. Some of the scattered throughout the entire book of Psalms. So it tells me that in our journey of our life of faith, we're never meant to walk away entirely from this orientation. That there's, again, there's truth in it, okay? Truth in it. And I want to suggest there are many of you um, in certain areas of life you get this and you also are currently struggling with something that says, you know what, I am going through something that's making me right now question this basic assumed innocent orientation that I have to my faith or to the world, okay? <laughs> so that's that first psalm of orientation. <clears throat> Now, let's zoom all the way to the end. So we start off Psalm 1. It's this preface. It's this this, uh, introduction into the land of the Psalms. And we start off with a clear, the wicked uh, perish, and the good are blessed, right? That's kind of where we start off, this Psalm orientation in the journey. We go through the 150 Psalms, and we end up at Psalm 150. Now, does someone have that uh, in front of you? Well, I guess you have your packets, so you all have it in front of you. Uh, Someone want to read Psalm 150?
0: Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and lyre. Praise Him with the and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and pipe. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with the sounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord
1: okay now some of you maybe heard that or just read that and said that doesn't seem that different it seems like at the end there this is a psalm that's just as the same orientation it's about praise in just about praising jesus Uh, it seems like there's maybe simplicity here uh, that naive innocence isn't isn't this the same And at first glance, it absolutely looks like that. There's a psalm of confidence. It's unqualified praise. It's all these good things. There's an absence of tension, kind of as it were, in the psalm itself. So you think it initially reads like the psalm of spiritual equilibrium, the psalm of moral coherence. But if you look closely, uh, it's actually something very different from that. So Derek Kidner, who is a um, commentator of the New Testament, He observes that if you look at each of the instruments that are listed in verse 3, 4, and 5 in particular, he says if you begin to understand the the role that these instruments played in the life of Israel, you begin to realize there's a whole lot going on here in Psalm 150 than first meets the eye. And so Kidner said trumpets, these were the long horns, these were trumpets that were sounded for national sacred occasions. So these were Big gatherings, nationwide gatherings. So the year of Jubilee was pre- announced with the sound of a trumpet. Uh, the harp and lyre, <clears throat> these were pretty much kind of everyday instruments, the kind of instruments you might find lying out around in people's homes. But, uh, so David, of course, famously played the lyre. Uh, and David famously played the lyre to help soothe Saul's kind of demonic attacks. Uh, but lyres and harps were most often used in the life of Israel at places like funerals. Uh, during these solemn and sorrowful occasions, and so that when David was playing the lyre for Saul, this wasn't a merry tune to kind of get him into a better mood. This was this was a, this was a song, a sorrowful, solemn brokenness that somehow drew Saul out. So it was the kind of instrument that you would associate with something like a funeral, uh, the timbrel and dance, or the tambourine and dance in, different, in a different uh, translation. Uh, these were the instruments of joyous celebration. So the most, the place you would most frequently see tambourine and dance would be at a wedding. Uh, and some commentators know that tambourine was oftentimes played by women in Israel. And so this is a place of joyous dancing celebration. The flute. Uh, the flute was, again, one of these very ordinary instruments. You can almost kind of think of it like the recorder. Because when children learned instruments, they oftentimes started with a flute. And what Derek Kidner says, he says, if you look specifically at the meaning of each of these instruments in the life of Israel, he says a psalm that initially looks like it's kind of a rosy-eyed praise of God, no matter what, kind of close your eyes to the suffering of the world and just praise God. Actually, he says what's happening is that all the suffering of the world, all the ordinariness, uh, from children to national leaders... All the textures, all the motifs of a life lived in a broken and, 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 and a trembling world. He says all of those things have been sedimented into this psalm. And all of those experiences, all of those tunes, as it were, are now being weaved into a new symphony. And that symphony is still praise. Uh, Have you ever felt like there are things that you can't say to God in prayer? Uh, Have you ever felt like there were emotions you weren't allowed to feel in worship? A Psalm 50 praise is this praise of reorientation that's new and it's surprising in its own right because it's entirely a gift of God's grace. So I recently had a conversation with a woman who'd been, who's been coming to my church uh, for many years. And uh, I'm not going to go into all the details of her situation, but she's, her life has been filled with a lot of suffering and a lot of ways in she, which she's been wronged. And uh, she came to my office and uh, started to talk to me. And she said to me, you know, Pastor, I haven't been to church in uh, several weeks, maybe a couple of months now. And inside, I was like, yeah, I noticed, but I'm not going to make you feel guilty. And so I was like, okay, well, tell me more. And she said, she's been working through with a counselor some of these kind of past traumas in her life. And she said, I am so mad at God. He could have stopped any one of those. He could have, any time, any time he could have stopped it. And he just watched. I was so mad that I felt like I cannot bring this anger into worship and so she stayed away and there are moments when I'm talking to people where I think the spirit of God shows me things that are far beyond my own wisdom or insight but the Lord brought Psalm 150 to mind and you know in the past I would have told her hey look all of those emotions bring it to God in prayer that's what it would have said But the Lord brought Psalm 150 to mind, and suddenly I realized, no, 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 no. All those emotions, you bring them into worship. Because my worship, my worship is incomplete without your anger. When that anger is directed towards the God who has saved you, the God you've given your life to, the God that you're struggling and wrestling to trust, when that anger is directed towards God, I need, I need that anger to complete my worship, to make it whole. Because this book of Psalms is not just a prayer book, is it? The book of Psalms was the corporate hymn book of Israel. These Psalms were designed for entire communities to sing together. And that's what the Lord showed me. And I told her, look, not only is it okay for you to bring that anger to God, where else are you going to bring it to God but besides worship? not only is it okay, but I need you to bring that. I need to know that these experiences, all these emotions, all these feelings are appropriate in the presence of a God of both holiness and absolute grace. You see, her praise is not a naive praise that's unfamiliar with suffering. It's not a naive praise that somehow closes its eyes to the brokenness of our world. But here, what we see here, and what I think God is helping this sister with, is to, to, is to grow in a praise that gathers in all of our suffering and experiences and becomes richer for that. One other example of this, so it's a psalm of reorientation. This is where we are. Remember that psalm of orientation, you can kind of think of it as simple. It's, uh, there's an equilibrium, there's a lack of tension, there's a moral coherence to the world, everything makes sense. And now we end up in Psalm 150 with a psalm of praise. That hasn't changed, but a psalm of praise that has bringing in all of these different experiences. So it's, there's a richness to it. There's a power to it. And so the other place where I've seen the power of that is, I remember, it must have been in a, uh, in a movie, maybe it was Selma or something like that, a movie about the civil rights. But I still, I will never forget this, the scene where they portrayed Dr. King and some of the civil rights leaders with the Southern Christian Leadership Conference uh, singing, We Shall Overcome. Is that a song of innocence? Is that a song of naive unfamiliarity with suffering? And on the other side, is that a song of despair, of bitterness, of resentment? Or is that a Psalm 150 praise? Is that what it looks like When we are willing to follow Jesus even into the darkest parts of our souls and our lives and discover that he and his faithfulness has taken us out the other side and put on our lips a new song of praise, not a song of mere orientation, but this song that is a gift, that is a surprise that is filled with a hope that doesn't come from within my own strengths or abilities, but a hope that comes in from the outside because it says we've experienced a God who delivers. Amen. And so they sing, we shall overcome. Amen. And so friends, if on this journey that I've been on, and I pray it's a journey that God is also taking you gently along as well. We begin our journey with the Psalms of Orientation. Confidence, and I know how the Christian life works. I know what faithfulness looks like. I know what obedience looks like. I know what I'm supposed to be doing in my life. We go from that place to now. We end up in this place of of reorientation—something entirely new, something surprising. The question, of course, so we're going to spend most of our time this evening on this. The question, of course, is what's happened in between? What is it that the? But where has that journey in the Book of Psalms taken us? What's happened in between? psalm of orientation, what happened in between were these psalms of disorientation. And by disorientation, again, we're going to be looking at this next session. I'm not talking about seasons of spiritual dryness or struggle or difficulties alone. I'm talking about moments in your life where you get blindsided and you feel like you're completely and utterly lost like a genuine disorientation, a genuine dislocation. And everything that you thought you understood about God and the Christian life and the world and how, it's, how things are supposed to go, all of those things, you get completely lost in the midst of it. And you find yourself wandering in the dark. That old orientation is completely collapsed and shattered. And even when you're in this place of disorientation, you look back at those early that early confidence you had, and it's embarrassing. Did I, did I believe that? Did I say that to that person? Did I assume that? That's when you find yourself in a place of disorientation. And there are Psalms for you to sing in the pit. You know what the word disaster means? It comes from uh, two words dis and aster. You want know what Aster is? I know, right? Hallelujah.
0: <laughs> I'm, drop
1: the mic and we're done. <laughs> Aster, like astronaut. Astronomy. A disaster is anything that makes it feel like the stars are falling down out of the sky. A disaster is anything that makes the North Star that you built your entire life around, makes it topple off its edge. And you fall off the axis. The stars are falling down all around you. Spiritual disaster. And I found myself in that place several years ago. And again, for a pastor who always knew what to tell other people, I was completely lost. And these psalms of disorientation are where Jesus met me. And I'll share a little bit more about that uh, this evening. But what I want you to, to invite you to do, just maybe throughout the day, uh, wherever you find those opportunities, just ask yourself, Lord, where, where, where are you taking me here? Uh, we're all on this pilgrimage, as it were. Where, where am I right now? Uh, is there something in my life now, or even something that maybe has happened in my life 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that was a disaster I was just never honest about it. That there was a time in my life where I felt utterly disoriented and dislocated. But instead of following you into the darkness, I ran back. Because that orientation felt like the godly thing to do. What are those areas where you might be feeling that disorientation? And throughout today, I just want to let you know it's okay to be disoriented. And in fact, if my experience is something that can hold true for many others, and if the word of the Psalms is the truth of God's word, God's going to meet you there. You won't know how. You can't control it. Not going to be easy. But Jesus will meet you there. You just have to be willing to go there with him. Okay? All right, so that's just a setup. Orientation. Profound disorientation. New and surprising reorientation. Or another way you can think about a life, death, and resurrection. This is the God we follow. Just don't be afraid to follow him into what feels like a death. Jesus will meet you there. Okay, so let me pray for us. <clears throat> Lord, we uh, Lord, we just ask for your spirit to um, give us eyes to see. That oftentimes it's our own woundedness, it's our own fear, it's our own disorientation uh, that we are the most blind to. And so, Lord, we pray that Your Spirit would give us eyes to see, but not just eyes. That Your Spirit would give us boldness, boldness to believe that You are inviting us to enter into that, to meet You there, so that we don't just deny or run away from it, but we might find Your healing from within it. So, Lord, I just pray for my sisters and brothers here who today might be feeling like they're in the bottom of that pit, who feel disoriented and maybe not even quite sure why they decided to come out on this weekend Lord, i pray that as they open up the possibility that this disorientation is where they're going to meet with you oh would you meet with them be quick to uh, do it in your own time but lord in your mercy in your mercy would you come and meet with us and so lord guide us I pray that your word again would come alive to us and that we, O Lord, above all else, would leave this place uh, loving Jesus in new ways, meeting Jesus in new ways. So we thank you, O Lord, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.